0: Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton.
1: Welcome to the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. If you have a money question for the show, taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing, it's all fair game. Shoot me an email, Chad, at ChadBurton.com. Well, we are now halfway through the year and uh, boy, like I always like to say, this business that I've been in for next month, it'll be 29 years. And uh, I always say it's it's fun, really fun, 70% of the time and a little rough 30% of the time. 70% of the time the stock market's negative, 30% of the time, I'm sorry, 70% of the time the stock market is positive, 30% of the time. The market's negative. That's about the average statistics when you look at periods of time, whether it's 20, 30, 40 years, last 100 years in the market. Now, when the stock market is down and it closes the year down, the average return, if I add up all of those re- negative years and divide it by the number of negative years, is uh, right around negative 13% or so. So we've gone beyond that. This year, or right now, we're looking at the S P 500 down about 20%. The Russell 2000, which is small and mid cap, down 23.5%. If we look at the tech heavy NASDAQ, it's down 29.33%. So check this out emerging markets down 17.2%, international developed down 18.78%. So actually, international, as if you've had exposures, you know, gone down a little less than the typical indexes, but um, that's because they were already trading recessionary last year. The bond market's been the big hit to balanced investors, though. The if I look at AGG, which is an ETF that basically is the mirrors the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index. So, if you look at the majority of the conservative bonds out there in the world, um, in the United States, not in the world, and you know we have things like Treasuries, high-quality corporate debt, and things like that. Um, down 10.16%. And municipal bonds are down a little less than that across the country, and that's the tax-free bonds. Uh, So tough go, for sure. Again, it's for, 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 for all stock investors, kind of a normal rough year in the market. For balanced portfolios, the worst period we've seen since 2008 when the stock market was down much further, but bonds provided a bit of a cushion. Speaking of bonds, we're at a little interesting tipping point here. The, the bond market is telling us that there is going to be a recession and the Fed may not be able to raise rates like they want, potentially because of demand destruction that's happening very quickly out there. This is what's going to be interesting as we now kick off earnings season for the second quarter of the year. And how much will CEOs be talking about wage inflation, f- inflation in general, how, how they have the ability to pass on costs to the consumers or not? Um, and then demand destruction. Um, you're already seeing it, in you know things like used cars and stuff like that. So the the peak in the bond market in the near term, who knows? It may have been June 14th at 3.49 percent or so. This may, this may be the short term peak. We may be at 2.9 or so percent by the end of today, July 1st. Now, this is still a huge jump from the beginning of the year. So the bond market went from 1.52 to um, you know all the way up to 3.49. So that's 2% higher on the 10-year treasury. That is a big jump and that would warrant, if you look at duration of bond funds, a decline of about 11% to 12% from the beginning of the year, maybe a little bit more depending on the duration of your, your bond fund. Uh, So when you look at this though, yeah, we we got this big jump from 3.49, but now we're back down to 2.9%. We're still way behind the 4% rate on the 10-year treasury that we saw prior to the Great Recession starting in 2007. And so back then you could get higher amounts on anything from cash to CDs to laddering bond portfolios. So this is still a challenge to both the 4% withdrawal rate and even how we as professionals manage this 60-40 balanced portfolio that that's based on. So back in the 90s, um, this this strategy of creating a balanced portfolio at retirement, and the idea is that, okay, if you look at retirement, let's say you're retiring at 65, and you have a million dollars, and if... You draw four percent out or forty thousand dollars a year, you'll be able to adjust your withdrawals with inflation two you know, to three percent each year. So, you know, a higher withdrawal every single year. And if you have that balanced portfolio, it should last you throughout your retirement as long as you stuck with that four percent draw rate and that small inflationary adjustment. Well, again, that's when that was created way, 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 way back when bonds were at a much higher rate. Um you know, it was very common we could do CDs at five or six percent. Bond funds were yielding more like six. Um you know, that that that's not happening anymore. It's just not. So the four percent draw rate is depending on how you're investing is more like three, three and a half percent at age 65, let's call it you know three and a half percent if you do things the right way. And the 60-40 portfolio cannot be done that way. If you look at just basic 60-40 portfolios of you know a, a 60-40 ETF or a 60-40 style bond portfolio, I mean, some of them are down 17, 18% if all they had was stocks, US stocks and uh, basic bonds. And like I've mentioned before, some of the things we did is lighten up on fixed income, added commodities and things like that. The 60-40 portfolio is becoming more like this. First of all, peeling off 10% in things like, uh, you know, in alternative investments, things like commodities and for higher net worth people, private lending. Um, That's where you participate in, you know, a fund where they... Do a lot of due diligence. They lend money to other corporations to buy other corporations essentially on notes that tend to be you know, seven years long and get paid off in four on an average basis. And typically floating rates based on LIBOR. So if interest rates go up, you can have a higher income. So things like commodities, real estate, private lending, you know, 10% in that, then 55% in stocks. I always like to have a little bit higher weight towards value and dividends, dividend growth in retirement. Um, And 35% very selective bond allocation where you're kind of half in core bond funds, you know, the normal ones, and then the other half in unconstrained where they can kind of go anywhere and or floating rate funds. So, you know, maybe a full other show on that type of portfolio construction. Maybe there's even some approach in a portfolio for those that are a little bit conservative and can't even handle that much Volatility. There's even some index products that offer. And now there's many of these are no load, no commission ones now. That offer maybe six to seven percent of the upside of the S and P 500 with no downside risk. You also don't get get dividends on it, but it's a way to participate in potential upside of the market with no downside. Those do actually exist for retirees for people over you know fifty nine and a half. Um. There's other also options where you have three-year periods where you can get 100% of the upside of the S&P 500, no dividends, with a protection against the first 10% decline in the market. And that's a three-year wait, and it's also based on timing. You know, what happens in that final year could be an issue. So a lot of stuff like that, and you just have to you know be open-minded to those types of things in a portfolio as you retire. When you're younger, when you're you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, and most of your 50s, just making sure you have exposure to large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, emerging markets, and real estate, and just consistently buying and buying even more when we have these big dips, that makes you wealthy. But when you go into retirement, you got to think a little bit differently. Participate in the upside and try to limit those drawdowns like we are seeing now. So coming back after the break, we're going to go over how's value versus growth performing? I mean, what are the different sectors? How are they doing? and what are some of the things that we can do to make uh, lemonade out of this line here, or out of these lemons, rather. Let's go over some uh, different areas right now. So when you're investing in asset allocation, you have asset classes like large cap, small cap, mid cap, international emerging markets, commodities, real estate, bonds, things like that. And commodities include everything from precious metals to energy to soybeans and pork bellies, right? Um, but when you break it down, you're typically looking at, if you're looking at large cap investing, you're either picking individual stocks, which is probably not right for anybody less than half a million, honestly. You're better off just buying ETFs or exchange traded funds that are a basket of stocks. And you either look at growth or value ETF, right? So for an example, if we look at the large cap space, at the S P 500, which is down about a little over 19% for the first half of the year we look at a growth based ETF where you're going to look at stocks that have you know higher revenue growth very you know much higher revenue growth for example but they're trading at much higher PE ratios price to earnings ratios we look at VUG Vanguard Growth ETF down 30.37% for the year if we look at Vanguard Mega Cap Value ETF so the large cap low PE ratios low price book low price to sales stocks in the S&P 500 down eight point nine four percent so value definitely outperforming growth for the year but look at the small cap space vbk vanguard small cap growth down thirty percent for the year uh, VBR vanguard small cap value down only fifteen and a half so again another outperformance um, and then you know that, that kind of rings true throughout really everywhere. The value just didn't fall as much, but also value has had a large run of underperformance versus large cap growth for about 12 years or so now. So typically over time, like longer 15, 20 year periods, paying attention to what you're paying for the price of the stock, which is valuation. And then smaller companies tend to outperform larger companies. And that hasn't been the case in the last 10 years, but it probably will going forward. There, what what I like to look at is I mentioned on the last podcast, so you know, go to iTunes and check it out. Talking about during a bear market, which you have declines more than you know twenty percent or more. During that period of time, um, you know, at twenty percent, start to get greedy and start buying, buying, buying. Now, can it go lower? Yes, but I shared what are the typical results: one, three, and six years after that first twenty percent decline, and they're usually really darn good. It depends on what you want to start buying. First of all, you look at your portfolio. What do you need? Most people are very heavy in large cap growth. So they can look at some of these other asset classes. And I look at the asset classes and say, how is the overall forecasted PE ratio of everything in this ETF, what is that looking like? And some of these areas are trading at you know deep recessionary levels. That, May not be warranted you know, it 's tough to fathom a deep recession with as strong of a labor market as we have. I still think that we 're you know somewhere between three to six months away from peak inflation and because demand destruction in the supply chain will improve that that'll slow down a little bit, and also we have you know all that flood of PPP money that all these business owners got for free is going to work its way through the system and you are not going to have as huge a demand as goods that we have when everybody was sitting bored at home in 2020 and 2021. So not only do I look for asset classes that are trading at very low PE ratios, I talked about it with you guys on the air back in March and April of 2020, that big decline that we had, how attractive small and uh, mid, especially value, had become that some of them traded down 45%, well beyond where they should have. And those were some screaming buys back then. And, and you got to look for these screaming buys that shape up. Now, sometimes it could be a couple of months decline like we had in 2020. And sometimes it could be from October of 2007 to March of 2009, a slow bleed type of a situation. But buying the entire time will make you wealthy five to 10 years later. Right now, if we look at some of the, uh, let's take a look at some of the sectors out there. Um, You know, energy is the big winner this year, right? In terms of the 13 sectors of the S&P 500, energy is really the one winner, up 28.5%. Consumer staples, next best, but it's still down 1.83%. Utility stocks down 2%. Healthcare stocks down 10% in general. Uh, Basic material stock ETF, IYM, is down 15%. Where commodities are way up, so there's some disconnects in there um, financial stocks down eighteen point six percent you think they would have fared better with rising rates um and if we look at uh, real estate down twenty percent now real estate's kind of all over the place because there's certain areas of of housing which look to have definitely topped out if not pulled back a little bit, you know, certain parts of the Bay Area, for example. But there's still a lot of movement around the U.S. where prices could still stay pretty strong. There's a shortage of homes in the, in the United States based on the millennial population. There's definitely a shortage of warehouses in many parts of the country. If you look by our Vancouver, Washington office, which is 20 minutes from Portland, Oregon, good luck finding any warehouse space at all. It was already short. And a lot of projects got shut down in, in 2020. And and now the, the demand is skyrocketing. It's crazy. Office is the one that's, okay, you know, how, how long are we going to work at home or have this quasi work at home life? You know, I think it's going to end up kind of a three days in, two days home type of a situation in the long run because it's really hard to build corporate culture when people are working remotely. And corporate culture is very important. So, um... You also have uh, data storage and cell phone towers and things like that in the real estate sector. Industrial stocks down 21.5%. Technologies down 30 Consumer discretionary stocks. What that means is stuff that you don't really need, but you like to buy when you're feeling good about the economy and you're feeling good about your paycheck. But it's stuff you don't really need. That's down 32% from the highs. And then finally, um, uh, I think I got them all. I might have missed one in there. But you actually start looking at the stuff that's that's done the worst. What ends up getting oversold because of overall fear in the stock market and what is happening news-wise? And I think we'll see a lot of that coming up in the coming weeks because this is going to be kind of the first real tough earnings report that we're going to hear about where we're going to see earnings estimates revised. Okay? And so... um Right now, you're looking at the SP 500 trading somewhere around 18 times forward earnings estimates. And so we're going to see what kind of the reality is there and where these buying opportunities will shape up. That's for sure. So what can we do during these periods of time besides start shopping for bargains and figure out what you can sell that you don't need on, on uh, you know, OfferUp or eBay or Facebook Marketplace or whatever so you can generate some cash that you have more cash to buy? What are some of the other things that you should be doing with your portfolio, especially for those that are getting closer to retirement? Kind of the you know fifty five and up, ten years away from retirement. It's where you really got to focus. When you're younger, buy, 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 buy. Right. The biggest thing is you look at your portfolio and you realize, oh man, I have too much large cap growth, and that's all I have. And you start buying small cap, mid cap, international, emerging markets in my four hundred one k with my contributions, and you can fix your asset allocation with with purchases. But once you're ten years from retirement, you really got to pay attention to your portfolio and, and pick a portfolio that becomes not a a it becomes a distribution style portfolio, right? So we're going to talk about harvesting losses tax wise and how could that can really benefit redoing your asset location. So you have asset allocation, the proper asset classes. And they have asset location, where are they held, which types of accounts, and then also going over with you again, the proper amount of safe money that you need to have while you're working. And then as you're five years or less from retirement, say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes or fees. You might call it the suitcases Always Packed Pass, or the Wait, I Get to Choose from 100,000 Trips Pass, the Will it be the Beach, City, Mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. So what should we be doing for those that have built a portfolio, they feel like they're getting close to retirement, and we're going through a rough year? Well, one of the first things that you want to look at right now is harvesting losses. And what that means, if you own an investment that's down, like let's say you bought a stock and it's down. You really like that stock, but it's down. One way to know that you can get... And remember, if you are in California or Oregon, you have state and federal taxes. Federal taxes for capital gains, uh, typically for a working person, is 15 to 23.8%. And then capital gains when you sell a stock in a taxable account or a, bond, a fund or an ETF in a taxable account. It's also taxed at the state level, which the state doesn't care what type of income. and They tax it all the same, you know, nine to 13.3%. So one of the ways you know you're going to be able to get some of that money back is harvesting losses. And all this means is you sell one stock and maybe you buy an ETF or a different stock. And if you want to go back into that other stock, that's fine. You just can't buy it in any other accounts for 30 days. So you basically sell the stock or ETF or fund, buy something else because you want to stay invested, and then take a fresh look at it 31 days later. Is that position up? Maybe you keep it. If it's down, you harvest that loss and go back into what you like better. And even if you don't have any capital gains this year to offset with those losses, you can carry them forward indefinitely. You can actually use 3000 against your ordinary income and carry the rest forward indefinitely until you need to use them. And that could be later in life when you start selling stuff to live, when you sell real estate, or when, even when you sell your business. So we've been actively harvesting losses. And a lot of times, it's pretty easy to look online. Like, Let's say you buy a stock that you like and you don't uh, want to necessarily be out of it at a low because you know, it could jump, right? Maybe a good earnings report comes out and it, it rallies back. You can find an ETF, exchange traded fund. It's just a basket of stocks that owns a large portion of that same stock, right? Maybe you just bought an S and P five hundred based ETF in your taxable account, like IVV, VOO, SPY. Pretty much all the same thing. Well, if you if you sell SPY, you can't go into IVV or VOO and harvest that loss. It's the same exact investment, the S and P five hundred. So you'd have to go into something different, like. Uh, more of a broad Russell index ETF or something like uh, a, a um, ETF that's that's well, just just something. It has to be different. It cannot be the same. So I can't kind of give basically recommendations here, but just realize that it cannot be the same index. For example, as you're doing this, though, you really want to pay attention to asset location. So you have to build your proper portfolio pie chart, right? large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, emerging markets, bonds, real estate, commodities. And so those of you that have been investing beyond your 401k and Roth IRAs, and you start buying in your taxable accounts, I was just meeting with somebody the other day that they're like, okay, I didn't have a real estate fund in my 401k, so they started buying REITs, real estate investment trusts and other high dividend paying things Uh, Some small cap in their taxable account, but they're still working. They're they're really at the top bracket. And so while real estate or REITs, real estate investment trusts, provide pretty tax-efficient income in retirement because not all of the dividends are taxable because of depreciation and return of capital issues, it's a terrible way to build wealth when you're holding things like emerging markets, very active small cap growth funds and real estate in a taxable account as you're trying to build wealth because you're losing a ton of your return to taxes. So the proper approach would be, okay, what can I look at selling? Maybe I sell some large cap growth in my IRA, my Roth, or, um, or my 401k. And that's where I buy my small cap, my emerging markets, you know, real estate investment trusts, things like that. So that your taxable accounts can be geared towards larger U S based companies. And tax-free bonds. And all other asset classes get held in the other types of accounts. The average investor, according to Morningstar, loses 15% of their return every year due to taxes. Because even if you don't sell a fund or an ETF, even if you don't sell it, whatever dividends they pay or capital gains distributions they make in December, you, you pay taxes on it. And you have to think about that. So you want to redo your asset location on top of your asset allocation. I hope that makes sense. Which accounts do you buy? What accounts do you buy where? right? How much... Uh, so again, your, your taxable account. so an account held in your name at Schwab or Fidelity or in the name of your trust or joint with your spouse, focus on larger US-based companies and tax-free bonds. A good small cap fund, if, it's a, if they buy a good small cap stock, guys... Well, eventually, that small cap company is going to grow really quickly and be considered a mid cap or a large cap company. And so they have to sell that stock, boot it out of the fund, and buy something different. And when that happens, that can create a taxable event. And so that's a greater, you know, that type of fund is what you want in your 401k or your Roth IRA, for example. You also want to make sure that you're going through and making sure that you have the proper amount of safe money. Now, there's two ways to look at this. This is for let's say your your working family, right? Your 30s, 40s, 50s. You got kids that depend on you, and let's say we go through a deep recession. I don't foresee a deep recession at this point, but let's say we go through one, and there's some layoffs. I think what we're going to see is a lot of tech layoffs. To be honest with you, but um, most families need a minimum of six to 12 months worth of expenses in cash all the time in case some something bad happens. Now you also need disability insurance because there's way too many situations that I've seen where I, I rarely have seen in the 29 years I've been doing this, somebody die early. But I've seen several situations where people are disabled and can't work for a period of time, whether that's six months or indefinitely. So disability is really, insurance is really important, but you need six to 12 months worth of, of expenses in cash in case we go through a recession and or something happens to you. Now, if your job was tough to replace last time we went through a recession, like in 2008 and 2009, for example, um, and it could take you one to two years to get a new job at the same pay, uh, pay and it's going to be tough to replace. Well, well, maybe you do one or two years worth of family expenses just to be safe right now. Okay? Now in retirement the amount of safe money that you have is completely different calculation. While you're working it's it's really just okay what do I need to do to pay the mortgage and keep food on the table and the lights on in the house? Because if you're once you stop working your tax bill goes away, right? But in retirement it's much much different. In retirement you're trying to make your portfolio last for 35 plus years. In retirement, you have to make sure you never need to sell stocks or bonds. Because remember, we've had periods of time where stocks and bonds both go down together. This is not the first one. I've been For those that have been listening since 1999, doing radio with Rob Black, I've always said this, you need three years worth of portfolio draws in cash. So you're never forced to sell anything in a down market that 's when you turn paper losses into real losses. This is all going to go away guys we 're going to forget about this whether it 's three months later or two years later this is this is going to go away and so in retirement, you have to do this you have to you, you have to total up all of your expenses. You have to look at your household expenses now, but also say, what are my other expenses in retirement like what am I going to do for fun? what are my hobbies? what are my philanthropic goals? It's always tough to spit that word out. And uh, what's going to motivate you to get out of bed every day? But you also then have to throw in things like healthcare costs, Medicare B premiums, supplemental insurance, IRMA, which is higher Medicare B if you make more money. Um, What are all those plus what's your estimated tax bill based on where you're going to be drawing on your portfolio? Add them all up. That's your total expenses. And then... From that, you say, okay, this is how much cash I'm going to have in the bank. And that earns X amount of interest. So you sub- subtract that. Then you look at your taxable accounts, your non-retirement accounts, your brokerage account at Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard, wherever. And you look at those investments and what is the dividends and interest yield? What is the dividends and interest that those are kicking off? Because mm-hmm. at retirement, you you shut off the dividend reinvestment and you take that money to help replenish your cash because we need three years worth of portfolio draws in cash and you have to consistently replenish that through taking dividends and interest and then every quarter peeling off some of the growth of the market when the market's positive to replenish your cash. Now how do you do this? Well, if you have taxable accounts, you look at your 1099. There's your your brokerage account tell it can probably show you how much your expected yield is. But you look at your 1099 and you look at all the dividends and interest, you got to make sure you're not looking at the capital gains distribution that happened last December. That's that's not the dependable income. And then you look at your things like your net rental income. What is your true net rental income? How much do you have left over after you pay your expenses? Now, you can't just look at your Schedule E because your Schedule E has depreciation, which is not a true expense. It's just a tax calculation. So you look at your Schedule E for your rental property the bottom line but you add back in, your your depreciation number, right? And then you take out this from from that again, so you're, you're looking at your total expenses, including taxes and healthcare, minus the interest you earn in your cash accounts, minus the dividends and interest you earn on your taxable non-retirement brokerage accounts, minus your net rental income, if it's a dependable source of rental income that you've had for a long time, and minus your social security if you're taking it. So this may be an exercise just for the next few years because a lot of people are retiring at 65 they're not taking Social Security until they're 70. So it's two different phases of calculations of safe money. And then you also subtract out your things like guaranteed pensions and annuities. What's left over, you need three years worth of that number in safe, safe money. Kind of going over the safe money calculation that I've used for years and years in this business. And for me, when I got into the business, I was 19 years old. I was majoring in engineering and math, Portland State. Totally shifted gears into the world of financial planning and did the certified financial planner designation. And, and, but every, everything's always like, you know, it's, it's math oriented. I want to give you an example of, of math when it comes to investing. I can show you two different mutual funds, for example. One mutual fund has a lower average annual rate of return than the other mutual fund, but you end up with more money in that mutual fund than the one that has a higher average annual rate of return. And this is a problem I see even just overall analysts make out there. That um, there's it's a difference between average annual return and what's called geometric mean. Like, what do you what do you have truly as a result of investing? Because, for example, if you're investing in something that has higher risk, a higher what's called beta, an even higher standard deviation, you invest early on and then it declines, you have to. Come back a lot farther. Here's an example of it. If you have a, let's say you have a fund, right? This is, okay, the first year you invest $100,000 and you get 100% in that fund. You now have $200,000. But let's say next year you have a decline in that fund of negative 50%. How much do you have? Well, your $200,000 becomes $100,000 again. So your real return was zero. You started with $100,000, it went up to two hundred. dollars it's now down to $100,000 again. Well, that fund could literally tout a 25% average annual return for the last two years. 100% up for the first year, 50% down for the second year. 100 minus 50 is 50 divided by 2 is 25. You see what I'm saying? So you can't just look at a fund and say, oh, it's got a lower average annual rate of return. It's It must not be as good. No, that's not the case. And that's the kind of stuff that you have to pay attention to as you go from wealth accumulation to wealth management or retirement planning and distribution planning. It's, a, it's definitely a shift in mindset. Hope that makes sense. And so, one of the things you need to do is have a proper amount of money in cash so that you can make it through bad markets. For example, the most recent historical one was October of 2007, a slow bleed, a slow decline in March of 2009 and then recovered a couple of years later. So during that declining period, and that recovery period, if you would have been selling stocks and bonds, we're selling stocks rather, bonds actually had positive times, um, if you'd have been selling stocks, you'd have left shares in your account to recover and shares paying you dividends in the future. And that's a mathematical problem. It's, you have to be able to solve for that. So if you took a, look at your total expenses, including taxes and healthcare costs, minus the interest on your cash in the bank that you're going to earn, minus the dividends and interest on your taxable non-retirement accounts that you're automatically going to get, if you have dependable rental income, the net amount of that, minus your social security and pensions and guaranteed annuity income, what you have left over is an amount that you're going to draw from your portfolio in terms of principal. And you need three years worth of that in cash, five years prior to retirement so you can make it through. But there's a couple of phases of this planning. Like I mentioned, there is the phase of from retirement to when you're going to take social security. That's a different, you're going to need more safe money when you're not getting social security. A person might look at their overall financial plan and realize, hey, I'm going to have a lot of money left over when I die. I'm going to be leaving a lot of money to my kids so I might be considering IRA to Roth conversions from the date of retirement until age 72. That's the sweet spot where your taxes can be very low, where you can move a certain amount of money from your IRA to your Roth every year in order to and pay taxes on it in exchange for tax-free growth five years later. You typically have to wait five years. There's some... You no know, complexities to that rule, but uh, it's either tax free for you. And then once you inherit, it, once your kids inherit it, they can have tax free growth for another 10 years with Roth IRAs. So that's another kind of calculation in there. And when you're doing that, some of the things you have to think about is when you have a large taxable event, you sell something or convert IRA to a Roth. If you're married finally jointly and your income goes over, your modified adjusted gross income goes over 182000 you can start paying more for Medicare Part B premiums. You have to also kind of calculate that in. Retirement planning can be pretty complex. When you're younger and you're investing, there's not a lot of mistakes that you can make. You max out your 401k, you max out your Roths, you buy index funds. It's really all you need to worry about for your first half a million. Just save, save, save. Make sure that between your savings and your employer match, you're always at least putting away 15% a year or more. If you've started later in life, you got to do more. Very important to get that done. So when you're in retirement, um, oh, the other thing that happens too in retirement is where do you keep that cash, right? And again, that changes because once you're you're age 72, you have to start taking money out of your IRAs, 401Ks, and 403Bs. It's called a required minimum distribution. And so you have to recognize if you're going to be living off of those distributions, you're going to be depending on them to spend you're going to need some safe money in your IRA as well, right? You're going to need three years worth of your required minimum distributions if you're spending them in safe money inside your IRA. You can buy IRAs at your brokerage, your IRA brokerage account at Schwab or Fidelity and, and places like that. There's other safe money options that are available out there, especially if you're planning well ahead, like you know five years prior to retirement. There's some really good things that you can do for the safe money. You have to recognize that. Retirement planning is very cash flow intensive, asset location intensive, and very tax sensitive. We all run our lives. How do I pay the least amount of taxes this year? How do I you know, keep it low this year, this year, this year? Once you retire, you have a limited resource, your portfolio, and you have a long period of time to deal with. And you have to try to say, how do I blend my taxes to keep them lower for longer? And then if I'm leaving a lot of money to my heirs, how do I do this so that Basically, the IRS gets the least amount of money possible legally, right? It's all part of the financial planning process. Stay tuned, doing the next hour with Rob Black live in person. It's been a while, so stay tuned for that. If you want to find me and you need help with financial planning, investing, retirement planning, just go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. Facebook, LinkedIn, iTunes for the podcast. A bunch of downloadables when it comes to financial planning. Roth IRAs, mega Roth 401ks. All that kind of stuff it's at chadburton.com. Have a great day. Please tell a friend about the show.